I've been struck here as I've stood over here singing what a holy moment and what good it is to look out on a crowd that looks like Easter Sunday before Thanksgiving it's so good to see you it's so good to be here gathered together as the body of Christ under the name of Jesus who lived and died so that all may be saved amen, amen. but as you consider this morning the things of man I want you to consider for a moment the God to whom we answer to the one to whom we are accountable it says this in Isaiah chapter 40 it says go on up to a high mountain O Zion herald of good news lift up your voice with strength O Jerusalem herald of good news lift it up fear not say to the cities of Judah behold your God behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This morning we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The shepherd, the chief shepherd under his watchfulness. And we as a congregation this morning are in a holy moment here. And we dare not step outside the will of God. We dare not take a step forward unless God says move. We dare not depend upon our flesh or our own intuition. We stand under God who has given us the Holy Spirit for this holy moment. And look, here's what I came in believing today. Somebody's going to get saved today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Somebody is going to get saved today glory to God let's pray father we thank you for your goodness and mercy we pray father that you would draw your tender lambs unto you today father we ask God that you would meet with us we ask God that we would be moved by your spirit uh, father in your power give us eyes to see give us ears to hear give us minds to understand and give us hearts to love father we praise your name in Jesus Christ and all God's people said amen and amen well grab your seat and grab your copy of God's word and let's go to Matthew Matthew 25 Matthew 25 this morning you may have heard me talk about this before but you know one of the greatest blessings in my life was growing up next door to my dad's mom Jean Simpson uh, whom we just call granny and then also my dad's grandmother, Julia Crosland, whom we just called Mamaw. We lived right next door to them, about 100 yards or so away. And if you had that experience of, of growing up next to a grandparent or a great-grandparent, you know that it's hard to beat that kind of childhood. It was a blessing having them right next door. My brother and I, we spent a huge amount of our childhood at their house. Now, my granny Jean didn't have much on her resume in terms of education in fact a lot of her childhood a great part of her childhood was lived in a tuberculosis hospital in Riverside Kentucky for a stint of almost two years in her early teens she didn't live with her mom and dad she was at that hospital and so she didn't have a great bit of education on her resume but one of the things that I loved about my granny 
is that she was one of the smartest people I've ever known. She was curious. She loved to learn. She had a whole bookcase that divided the living room from the kitchen. I can still see it today. Full of books, stuffed full of books. And I can remember so vividly one of the books that I absolutely loved and I often gravitated to. It was this book right here. Anybody recognize that book? That is the 1965 Boy Scout Handbook. Now, Granny had, had picked it up somewhere at a yard sale. In that book was over 400 pages of all sorts of colorful illustrations, good, helpful, interesting stuff that piqued a boy's interest. Somebody recently commented, three books, highly recommended should you find yourself stranded. A Bible... A Navy's Blue Jackets manual, all right, a Navy Blue Jackets manual, and a Boy Scout handbook. Now, personally, I was never a Cub Scout or a, a Boy Scout. My brother was a Weebelows um, Cub Scout for a year or two during our growing up days. And I know that there are some here amongst us who are serious scouts. I mean, even Eagle Scouts, and we praise God for them. But among all sorts of other things found in that old Boy Scouts handbook was the Boy Scouts motto. Anybody in here know what the Boy Scouts motto is? It's just two words. Anybody know? Shout it out if you know it. Be prepared. That's right. Be prepared. That motto was chosen by the founder of the scouting movement, Robert Baden-Powell, all the way back in 1907. Upon hearing the the Boy Scout motto, someone once asked Baden-Powell the inevitable follow-up question. Be prepared. Prepared for what? And here was his response. Why, any old thing. (laughs) In other words, everything. Beloved, we would be wise to heed the Boy Scout motto. Be prepared, especially in light of our text today here in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. I want to invite you this morning to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And this is a passage of Scripture that is powerful the Bible says this in the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom five of them were foolish and five were wise for when the foolish took their lamps they took no oil with them but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps as the bridegroom was delayed they all became drowsy and slept But at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come on out to meet him. Then all those, all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Father, what a passage of Scripture. Thank you for putting it. In the scripture, thank you for Christ speaking this to us, and thank you for Matthew capturing it, Lord. 
that we might here in 2023, Lord, have a powerful illustration of the importance of your second coming. Father, would you meet with us today? Would you move in our midst, God? I have to believe that right now in our midst, there are men and women here who are lost. They have never turned from sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they, Father, because of that very situation, the, the situation that I was in, that we're all born into, Lord, but for the grace of God, that situation doesn't change. But this morning, the grace of God has come. This, this morning, the grace of God is, is, is given, is preached. And I pray that today, the person that walked in lost will leave here saved. Father, would you move in our heart? And above all, God, would you help us get ready? Help us to get ready for your second coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Hey, grab your seat there. So this morning, as we continue through our Ready for His Return series, Ready for His Return series, we're walking through the parables found in Jesus' Olivet Discourse. We've seen that the second coming will be like the days of Noah. We've seen that. We've seen that it's going to be like a thief in the night. We've seen that the second coming of Jesus is going to be like a master delayed in his returning. And this morning, we turn to today's takeaway where we learn this. Here's today's truth. The second coming of Christ will be like a coming bridegroom. The second coming of Christ will be like a coming bridegroom. Now, I know there's some people in here that love weddings, all right? Some people love weddings. And, and as we look at this here, it may seem sort of strange to us because our wedding customs are, are so different from what we see pictured here in this parable, all right? But the imagery that we have here is it accurately reflects the typical customs of first century Jewish weddings and, 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 and even stretching out into the ancient Near Eastern cultures around them. This was a typical thing that you would see. As one commenter wrote, the background to this parable is Jewish wedding custom. The wedding is not only a joyful, but a protracted affair, which means it's long going. It's not a one moment like ours is. The couple would not go away on a honeymoon, but stay at home and welcome all comers. It was a relaxed affair. There was no set time when the bridegroom would come to the house of his bride, either to eat the wedding feast there or more frequently to, to take her to his own home for the wedding feast. The festivities lasted for a week or even two and remarked by great joy, feasting and music. The virgins waited here to escort the bridegroom into the house. So you just picture this. I mean, they are ready for this wedding. And another commenter noted this. He said, he said the processions often took place at night when torches made a spectacular display, right? You can just picture the lights processing, processing into the city, parading into the village toward the house, and all of the fun as people saw the torches passes by, they would jump out and join the crowd, and the parade would grow and grow and grow. It was just a marvelous sight to behold, but it just wasn't beauty that they were going after here. It was also really functional because there were no street lights in those days, right? And as you came through the city, you wanted to know where you were going in the pitch dark. 
And, and here in Jesus' parable, there, there are ten virgins, which is a, a way of saying ten young women who had never been married. They were bridesmaids. Now, why ten? I don't know, right? Maybe you have a, a study Bible that tells you why there are ten in that custom, in that culture. But nevertheless, they all had their lamps lit, their torches lit, ready here. Ready here. Now, again, when we hear the word lamp, when we hear the word lamp, we picture that thing that sits on your end table or on your nightstand. That's when we hear lamp, okay? But, but more of what it was actually was sort of a large dome-shaped torch that was fueled by rags soaked in oil and it was used for walking outside. They could hold it up in the air and kind of walk alone uh, along. I, I picture something a little more like Indiana Jones going through the rat-infested tunnel, something more like that sort of torch, right, as far as it goes. Maybe it looked differently, but that's what I have in my mind. And as they're here, they have their lamps lit, their torches lit, they're ready for the bridegroom, which is the bride's man. That's literally what that means. The bride's man, that's what the word groom means. The bride's soon-to-be husband, the nymphios in the Greek. And there were these bride, bridesmaids there waiting with their burning lamps, just burning fuel. Jesus tells us that these ten bridesmaids, five were wise because they took extra oil for their lamp in case the bridegroom was delayed. But the other five were foolish because they brought no extra fuel. you got to be prepared, right? Just in case he's delayed, and guess what? He was delayed. Now, we've seen this concept of delay sort of as a developing theme in these parables here. Just like last week, the master in the previous parable, he had been delayed. And in this same parable here, the, the bridegroom was delayed. We're not told what time he was supposed to be there, but the bridesmaids waited and waited and waited until the Bible says here in Jesus' parable that they fell asleep. And when they fell asleep, their torches continued to burn. But finally at midnight came a cry. Here's the bridegroom! Come on out and meet him! And these ten versions jump up. They're, they're all caught off guard. But they, they quickly, they trimmed the old burnt part off their lamps so that they could give better light. And, and the wise virgins, they quickly refueled their lamps, pouring oil into their lamps. But the unwise virgins, what did they do? They had nothing to refuel with. And their lamps were just about to go out. And so they turned and looked at the other five. And he said, hey, I, I see that you've got some extra oil there. Can, can we borrow some oil? Look, we'll pay you back. I mean, like, like right after the wedding, we'll run down to the dealer. We'll buy you some oil. We'll bring it back. Just please let us share the oil that you have. But what did the wise ones do? The wise ones refused. The wise ones refused to share their oil with them because then they said if we share it with you everybody's going to run out and so they told the unwise virgins to go get their own 
run to the store and, and, and buy your own. And so that's what those five did. But the proceedings didn't stop. The wedding march kept going. They, the five wise ones, they, they went out and they met the bridegroom. They began to process back into the village, into the city, into the house. They met him and escorted him into the bride's home for the marriage feast. And the Bible says here in the illustration, the doors were shut behind them and when the five unwise ones made it back to the house they found the door locked and they you can just picture them like trying to to get it open click clang 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 and they begin to yell lord lord open to us and the bridegroom shouted back truly i say to you i do not know you and with those five words I do not know you the five unwise virgins were barred from the wedding feast and Jesus ends the parable by saying watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour beloved you must be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ now don't forget that, that, that that's what the, all of this is about right we get caught up in the wedding we love weddings don't forget that this is what this is all about the ten virgins are us the bridegroom is Jesus the wedding feast is the marriage supper of the lamb at Jesus' second coming where all the redeemed are united with him forever and I say to you this morning don't miss that supper don't miss that feast right to not be ready at his coming and to miss that wedding feast listen to me is to miss out on heaven and to be locked out into the outer darkness of hell so beloved this is a really big deal this is a really big deal i want you to be ready i don't want you to miss out so this morning, I want to commend to you three statements for you concerning the second coming of Jesus that come out of this text. And here's the first one. I know He is coming. I wonder this morning, would you all say that with me? Uh, let's say it together. Y'all ready on the count of three? One, two, three. I know He is coming. Listen, just like the bridesmaids here, they, they knew the bridegroom was coming. You and I know that Jesus is coming. We've been told over and over again. Several times, explicitly in this sermon here, the, 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 the ongoing Olivet Discourse here, this long sermon on Holy Week, right before Jesus is to be crucified and resurrected. Matthew 24, 7, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He's already come once, right? He's there talking to him. And so as he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, he's talking about when he comes again. Matthew 24, 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Matthew 24, 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
So over and over again in this message here, Jesus is saying, I am coming again. Even his favorite name for himself. I mean, if you were to just read through the Bible, the, the, the Gospels, how many times Jesus referred to himself, you'll find he used a lot of different reference, but his favorite and most used reference is the Son of Man. And every time you see Jesus use the phrase Son of Man, know this, he is declaring to you again that he is coming at the end of the age. Every time you read that, you say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, because that phrase comes from Daniel chapter 7, the 13th and 14th verse. Jesus didn't just make up this name. He took on this name that the Holy Spirit had given the people of God through a prophet named Daniel. And there in Daniel 7, we read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's a prophecy from God pointing to the end of the age when God the Father called the Ancient of Days here he will hand everything over to the one that is like a son of man that's, that's God the son that's, that's God in the flesh Jesus Christ and so every time you read that phrase son of man it is declaring to you and me that Jesus is coming again and then you read the rest of the New Testament and it speaks to a life that has lived in this expectation. It's interesting, as you read through the rest of the New Testament, there's really not a, an explicit passage that says he's coming again. It tells you, it, 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 it just assumes, because you've already been told so many times in the Gospels, and it begins to speak into how you should live in light of that fact. The rest of the New Testament is just the expectation, and of course you, you get into the book of Revelation, and there comes the reality Okay, the reality comes. You and I know that Jesus is coming. He's coming again. That's the first statement I commend to you this morning. Here's the second one concerning the second coming of Jesus that comes out of this text. And it's this, I don't know when he is coming. Y'all ready to help me say that? Let's say that one together on the count of three. One, two, three. I don't know when he's coming. So the bridesmaids, they, they knew the bridegroom was coming. They just didn't know exactly when, right? They weren't on Western time, right? I mean, you ever travel outside of, 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 of American culture? They have no concept of time, right? They'll say, we'll be there about that week. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wait a minute, I need to know. I've got to put this in my calendar. I can't just block out the whole week. Like, can you tell me the, at least the day? Uh, maybe Thursday. I mean, that's how it is everywhere else in the world. And that's how it was here. They, they knew the bridegroom was coming. They just weren't exactly sure when. And guys, the same is true for Jesus Christ. 
We know he's coming. We are just not sure when he's coming. And that's been the, the primary theme of the Olivet Discourse at this point. As he moves into the parables, right? That, that's the primary thrust. You don't know when Christ is coming. Like the flood in Noah's day, you don't know when it's coming. Like the thief in the night, you don't know when he's coming. Like the delayed master, you don't know when he's coming. And again, the statement that kicked off this entire section. Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. And then here at the end of this parable of the ten virgins, Jesus drives this reality home again in 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So beloved, like the Boy Scouts, you must be prepared at all times. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. Beloved, many of us, many of us are tempted to be found asleep and off guard like the ten virgins in this parable here. But may we be awake. May we be vigilant. May we be ready. You and I know he's coming, but not when he's coming. And you say, well, then you've kind of preached that every week in this series so far. I guess Jesus thought you needed to hear it again. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that true? I mean, come on. How easily, as we said last week, are we lulled to sleep and lulled to our fleshliness? And when Jesus says something more than once, he says, y'all really need to hear this again. But here's the nuance in this one that we've got to get in our spirit tonight fresh and new. And this is powerful, y'all. This is powerful. The second statement, again, that's the second statement there. But the final one I want to commend to you concerning the second coming of Jesus that comes out of this text is this. It's the third statement this morning. And when he comes, nobody is responsible for me but me. And when he comes, nobody is responsible for me but me. We've said the other two. We're going to say this third one. On the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. And when he comes, nobody is responsible for me but me that's the nuance here each parable so far has had its own little nuance last week the nuance which was powerful in its own right was what will you be found doing when he returns and that's a powerful thought what will you be found doing when he returns will it be righteous or will it be wicked oh that we may be found righteous doing righteous when he returns doing good but the nuance here in this week and this is the take-home for you in this sense. Nobody is responsible for me but me. You see, the five foolish virgins, they tried to borrow from the five wise virgins. But the five wise virgins refused. You see, they were all to be responsible for themselves. And beloved, i got to tell you today, upon the authority of God's word... On the day of judgment when Christ returns, you cannot borrow from somebody else. And I get it. We live in the South. We live in the belt buckle of, of the Bible belt, don't we? Where cultural Christianity is a real deal. And it's not as much as it used to be a generation before. But nevertheless, Christianity, cultural Christianity is a big deal. 
what is that? Well, cultural Christianity is where we kind of take on the form of Christianity, but not the, not the content of it. I, I kind of take on the, the, the name. I kind of borrow my Christianity from someone else. And I want to tell you this morning, it really doesn't matter how godly your daddy is or your daddy was. It will not help you on the day of judgment. It doesn't matter how godly your mama is or your mama was. She will not be with you on the day of judgment. I don't care how long, uh, how, how long your granny or your papa or how big in the church or the community they, they stood. They will not stand with you on the day of judgment. You will stand for yourself before God. And for some of us in that room, that ought to make us quake in our boots. Because we've been fooling around with Christianity and we've kind of been riding the coattails and kind of moving along and, and, and church and following Jesus has kind of become a family thing as opposed to a me and God thing, a real thing. I don't want to say to you this morning, you better be ready because Scripture says, Hebrews 9, 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that, comes judgment beloved that day's coming for you I don't know what day I don't know what hour I, I don't know when like I've said all throughout this series either you're going to go stand before Christ or Christ is going to come stand before you one or the other you're going to be face to face with Jesus Christ and at that moment judgment will happen Nobody is responsible for you but you. And so the, here's what that means for every one of us in this room. I, again, from the youngest to the oldest, you must own your faith. You must own your faith. You must know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. There is no our Lord and Savior in that regard on the day of judgment. He's either your Lord and Savior or He's not. You must own your faith. And if you're here today and you've never turned from sin and trusted in Christ, today is the day that God has given you to take possession of that, to turn from sin personally, to grab hold of Christ personally and place your hope in Him that you will stand before Him as one of His, as one that He knows. And as we see here in this text, these bridesmaids ran off to get more oil and when they come back they begin to knock on the door and they say Lord, Lord, let us in Lord, Lord, let us in that's Matthew 25, 12 Lord, 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 let us in 
Actually, that's, that's 2511. Lord, Lord, let us in. And he comes back and he says, the bridegroom in, in verse 12, his answer was, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And beloved, that echoes a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus says this, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name and, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the question comes to all of us this morning. Does the bridegroom know you? Oh, you know my son. Oh, you know my dad. You know my, my granny. I, I went to church. I, I gave to Lottie Moon. I, I served in the kids' ministry. I, I, I went and did mission trips. But have you ever turned from sin and trusted in Christ? Because that's the only way. That's the only way the Father knows you intimately. That salvation relationship. Does he know you? Nobody's responsible for you but you. And when Jesus Christ returns, it's too late to run and share because it's not even possible for you to share. Here's my final prayer. May you take seriously your own personal readiness so that when the bridegroom comes, you may enter in.